Hey there, Lisa Schwartz here. Welcome to my podcast, Teach and Talk with Lisa, where we are unpacking biblical principles with everyday words and applying them to our everyday lives. I'm excited to be with you today. We're going to be walking right through John chapter 5 today. Uh, One of the things that I'm doing is really trying to do a lot more teaching and training by demonstration, demonstrating prayer. How do I interweave prayer into reading of the scripture and how do I just read the scripture? Um, I think a lot of us know that if we did read the scripture, that it would change our lives. And when I ask people, so why don't you read it? A lot of times the top two answers are, I don't know what to read and I don't know how to read it. So I'm going to try and come alongside you and help you with that. Now, today we're going to be walking through John chapter five, the story of the man by the pool of Bethesda. Um, And uh, I'm just going to read it and I'm going to, I'm going to be just kind of teaching and training and praying So basically what I'm going to be doing is I'm going to be reading the scriptures like I read the scriptures, maybe demonstrating just basically this is how I read the scriptures. Um, In Psalm 119, it talks about all, it's the longest psalm in scripture, it's the longest chapter in scripture, um, and it talks about the excellencies of the word of God, and it talks about um, meditating on the word, hiding it in your heart, thinking upon it, um, to repeat it. Uh, and so it, it doesn't talk about just reading the word. It talks about really allowing yourself to become saturated in the word. If you have a chance, read Psalm 119. Pull out all the action verbs. It's just kind of fun. And think to yourself, oh, am I studying the word? Am I meditating on the word? Am I bowing before the word? Am I following the word? Am I saturated in the word? All of the different uh, verbs that God gives you of ways and, and things you should. It's, it's an invitation, guys. It's not a condemnation. It's an invitation to really allow the word of God to be hidden in your heart that you could walk in the fullness of life, not no longer uh, walking in sin, um, but really just coming into the fullness of his purity. All right. All of that was for free um, because I am excited today because I love the word of God. So we have lots of teachings. Um, Gary Bergens has been here. Turner's been here. Um, I've done a lot of teachings and a lot of you are thinking, gosh, how do they get to this place? Well, we get to this place by reading, studying, meditating, praying through the word. And so uh, that's what I'm going to be demonstrating for you today. All right. And we're going to begin reading through John chapter five. It says, after this, there was a feast of the Jews and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, There is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, which uh, that means outpouring, okay? Now, how do I know that? Because I've looked it up. Because when I've read scripture, I'm interested. Every word that God uses, especially when there is a name of something, a place, um, a space, a building, a person, it is very significant, especially when you see name changes. Uh, It's very significant. Um, And so God calls you by name. He knows your name. Your name to him is very significant. So this is your tip. When you're reading the word, you want to ask, what what does this even mean, Bethesda? And it means outpouring, having five porches. Now, again, that number five means grace. Okay, so it's an outpouring of grace. So how do I know that? Because when God uses numbers in the Bible, it's typically very significant. Now, I'm not a big, every number means something, something, whatever, but it can. If God is saying, hey, pay attention to that number, or you see a number popping up a lot, uh, that could be very significant. All right, it says, in these, meaning in what? In the five porches. So there's five porches around this pool pool of Bethesda, uh, which means outpouring. 
five porches. Okay, so I need you to get this visual. So surrounding this pool, there's five porches, and the Bible says in these lay a great multitude. That is a lot of people, a lot of people. But these were not normal people, maybe. These people were sick people, blind people, lame people, paralyzed people, waiting for the move of the water. Now, you might automatically be reading this and going, well, I'm not sick, I'm not lame, I'm not blind, I'm not paralyzed. But God really could be speaking to you and I. In fact, he is. Meaning, you know what, there's some places in my heart that are very sick and very wounded. Um, there's some places in my eyes that I haven't seen. I feel blinded by offense. I feel blinded by anger. I feel blinded by darkness. This, like, I, I can't seem to see past this wound. I can't seem to see past this anger. Maybe some of you feel lame, like I can't move. I'm stuck. I'm paralyzed. Uh, a lot of us are paralyzed by fear. A lot of us feel paralyzed by our finances. So God is speaking to you. And they're waiting for something. They're waiting for a move of the water. Now, a lot of us can relate to this now, like, oh, I'm feeling stuck in my brain. I'm feeling blinded by this anger and I'm waiting for it to go away. I'm waiting for my healing. I'm waiting for this circumstance to change. I'm waiting for this relationship to change. I'm waiting for this person to come back. I'm waiting for my raise. Come on, this is what we're talking about. The point is, is they have a hope in their heart but what you'll see here is the hope is not in Jesus. The hope is in a thing, in a, a, a stirring of a water. And a lot of us, this passage is a great passage to talk to us about false hope and what are we keeping our eyes focused upon. I'm going to keep reading. It says, they're waiting for the moving of the water. They're waiting for something to shift in their life. They're waiting for the moving of the water. So the tradition of the time was when the, move, the water would move. It, would, it, was meant, it was thought that an angel of the Lord would go down and move the water. And whoever got into the water first, that was the person that was healed. Um, which is just so interesting to me because that, that kind of denotes or communicates a God who is, who is uh, not fair, who is not just. Um, which he's about to shatter this, this mentality and this tradition. It says, For an angel, angel went down at a certain time to the pool and stirred up the water. And whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. Now, this is a false hope. A lot of us are waiting for the stirring. We're thinking, oh, I'm feeling anxious and I'm worried because uh, I, I, my finances are hurting and I'm waiting on the raise. I'm waiting on the next job. I'm waiting on my stimulus check. Come on. I'm waiting on my tax return. And then my situation will be made whole. I will be well as if only that thing would begin to move in my life. If only that relationship would begin to stir up in my life. If only that person would come back, that depression would leave me, whatever it is. If only I could get a job. If only I could get a car. If only I had a babysitter whatever if only I had a spouse and we're waiting on that thing to begin to move because we think that thing is going to heal us and make us well it has become our hope and it is a false hope now listen it comes on it says now a certain man was there who had an infirmity of 38 years it's a long time that is a very very long time he is stuck in his infirmity and some of you have been stuck in an infirmity for a really long time you've been stuck in addiction 
you've been stuck in affliction, you've been stuck in an unhealthy relationship, you've been stuck in a job, you've been stuck in a career that bores you to tears. Come on now, I'm talking to somebody and some of you feel like it's way too long. I'm just stuck here and I have lost all hope. I'm looking and any hope that I have is a false hope. I can't seem to get there. Everybody else gets there before me and now I'm just wah, wah, wah. I'm in this state of self-pity. I have no determination. I feel like I'm always going to fail. I'm never going to make it. Come on. This is the mentality that this man begins to have. Listen, it says when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been in that condition a long time. Listen, God already knows. You don't need to tell him. God, it's been a long time. God, it's been two weeks and I'm still waiting on my breakthrough. God's like, yeah, baby, I know how long it's been. I already know your condition. I know how long you've been in it. But I am here with you and I am here to shift some things. I'm here to tell you that there are some things you are looking to to release your breakthrough when I am your breakthrough. Come on, I'm speaking to somebody now. This is what God is talking about. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been in that condition for a long time, he said to him, do you want to be made well? Now, this is an important question because I, I, I read this and I think, duh. I mean, isn't that while he, why he's there? But there's a reason why Jesus asked this. See, he's really wanting this guy to discover what's really going on in his heart. I'm going to be honest with you. Some people come in for counseling and they don't really want to be made well. They just want somebody to coddle them and, and validate their depression and, and, and stroke their drama, whatever it is. Um, and so often I will say, where are you at in this? Is this something you really want to be delivered from? Um, and, and if we're honest, honestly, and I have clients who are honest, especially with addiction, is this something you really want to stop doing? And if they're finally honest with themselves, they will say, I don't know. I don't know who I would be. I've been addicted for 38 years, and I don't know who I would be if I wasn't addicted. I've been depressed for 38 years, and I don't know who I would be if I were to let go of this depression. I've been angry, Lisa, for 38 years, and I don't know how I can live life without the energy that the anger brings to my body. I've had people say that to me. It is a, this question is here for an important reason. A lot of you flippantly are like, of course I want to be healed. But if God is asking you the question, do you want to be made well? It is because you really need to contemplate the answer. You think you know. I spoke a message that says, if you were living a lie, would you want to know? And it's basically all about how we don't know what we don't know. But if you could know what you don't know, would you want to know? And I know it sounds like a tongue twister, but a lot of us don't know what we don't know, but we don't want to know what we don't want to know. Because knowledge has to bring change. It has to bring a shift. So he's asking here because there's something this man doesn't know. And there are things in your heart that you are not aware of. And God will bring you to a place where he wants to have a conversation with you. And you will feel the prompting of the Spirit. You will hear Him asking you questions, having you look at spaces and places in your life and saying, look, I want to talk about this. Let's talk about what was going on in your heart at that moment. Talk to me about why you said this. Talk to me about how you were feeling when that person said this to you. God will want to have those conversations with you because He's wanting to or help you discover, self-discover. He's wanting to expose things in your own heart so that you can be made well. So the sick man answered him and said, Sir, 
I have, he doesn't even answer the question. Honestly, he doesn't answer the question. What he does is he gives all the excuses for why he hasn't been made well. Now, come on, I'm talking to somebody in, in, in this room. I'm saying in this room. I, I've had people, I've, done, I've been guilty of this, where somebody comes to you and they have a problem and you begin to give them solutions and they give you all the reasons why the solution won't work. They give you all the excuses. Well, I've tried that, blah, 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 blah. Well, I tried that, blah, 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 blah. Well, if I did that, then that, da, 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 da. And it's frustrating because you get to a place where you're like, I don't think you really want a solution. I think you just want to complain about all the reasons why you can't be set free. And this, we have to be honest with ourselves. That is our tendency, is our inclination to be like, God, I've already tried that. God, I've already done that. Uh, I have some new staff that have come on and they're wanting to try some things um, and do some things, implement some things that we tried two or three years ago. And my inclination is to say, we've already tried that. We've already done that. But God is saying, this is a new season. It's a new day. And I've brought a new person. And maybe you tried it out of season, but don't automatically just respond to that. Bring it to me. Have a conversation and say, I'm willing. You can say, hey, I'm going to let you know we tried that before. And this is what happened. However, it's a new season. It's a new day. You're a new employee. And I am willing to pray about that because perhaps that is a now thing. You understand what I'm saying? But a lot of us get stuck in all of our experiences and we allow our experiences not just to explain, but to excuse us from really grabbing on to the next thing. So he goes on, he says, the sick man answered him, sir, I have no man to put me in the, into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I am coming, another steps down before me. Womp, womp, womp. Now, I know this is a lot of realities. I know some of you have been working, striving, doing the right thing, being the right person to achieve that next thing. And at the last minute, somebody has cut in and they've taken your dream. They've taken your job. They've taken your promotion. They've taken your rela that relationship away from you. They've taken your child but God is saying, none of that matters when you're in my presence. I want to be the water that stirs in your life. I don't want you to look at the false hope. That doesn't even matter anyways. You're missing the question. The question isn't, do you want to be healed? The question is, do you trust me? Do you know me as the healer? That's the question. Jesus disregards his whining. He disregards his self-pity. He disregards his victim mentality because that's inconsequential in the presence of the Lord. I'm not saying God doesn't validate. He doesn't see. He doesn't know. He's not aware. But what I'm saying is when I'm feeling self-pity and I feel it, or I'm feeling like a victim in a moment, when I step into the presence of the Lord, all of that becomes inconsequential. And I am reminded, oh, that's right, God. If I'm with you, I win. Because he who is in me is greater than he who is around me. The one who is before me is the one, better than the one who is coming after me. And he's, he's reminding me of the victory that God, you say I stand high upon the heights. And that the enemy is beat as fine dust beneath my feet. So this might be a place where I start to pray and I'm declaring scriptures. God, I thank you, Lord, that in your presence I am made whole. I thank you, Father, that you are standing right next to me in my frustration in my weariness, in my faint-heartedness. God, just like the man, I feel like there's been some things I've been working for, striving towards, looking um, up, looking to for many, many years. But God, I hear you saying right now, come on, somebody needs to receive this, that your presence is here and that you are here, that I don't need that thing. I don't need that pool. Note that Jesus heals this man without the pool of Bethesda. 
He doesn't need the pool of Bethesda. He says, that's a false hope. Think about me for a moment. Come on, I just wanna, I wanna, I want you to really grab this. This man has been laying here and he has to keep his eye on this false hope. And he, it, because if it starts to stir, he's gotta get there first. And so now we have this multitude of people who are broken, who are shattered, who are afflicted, who are impoverished, who are depressed, who are in darkness, who are living less than, who are unable to move, they're stuck in their circumstances, and they have to keep their eye on this false hope. Can you imagine when they begin to get sleepy that they're trying to stay awake and they have to stay awake at the at the off chance that they miss the opportunity to be healed? What a demonic obsession is that? The things that we look to to release healing in our lives often are just they become an obsession and we become so focused on come on the exercise the diet i'm not look, i'm the first one to tell you we have to exercise you need to work out you need to you need to eat right you need to get good sleep but those things are not your hope for healing you are partnering with god and loosing healing in your life but to stare at those things and to prioritize those things and to become sleepless about those things, exhausted by those things, to become obsessed with those things makes those things your false hope. I am obsessed with the person of Jesus Christ. I declare that you will be obsessed with the person of Jesus Christ, that every other obsession, every other thing that you are looking for to release healing in your life, come on, those excessive amounts, exorbitant amount of vitamins, come on. Uh, and again, I am a, I am not again, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm saying it is not those things that are going to lose. It is God that is going to lose the healing in your life. Whatever it is, some of you, it's a relationship. You keep your eye on that person because that person is your ticket to success and whatever they're doing, you're going to do and wherever they're going, you want to go and you've become obsessed with the person because instead of Jesus Christ, because you think that person is the stirring of the water that you need in your life to release the breakthrough that you've been looking for. But I declare that there is only one stirring. There is only one water and it is the living water. It is Jesus Christ. Come on now, receive that. That. We receive you, Jesus Christ, as the living water, that you are the true thing. You are not a false hope. You are the one true hope. God says that he is the hope that does not disappoint. Come on, that's what it tells me in Romans. And we just declare that. We receive it right now in the name of Jesus Christ. Jesus said to him, rise up, take up your bed and, and walk. Take up your bed and walk. Now, some of you have heard God say, do this. And your response has been, well, I can't because... I've ministered to some people that couldn't stand up, literally could not stand up. And I would say, we're going to stand you up. And they're almost 100% of the time, they'll say, I'm, I can't stand. And, I'm, and I will say, I know you can't stand in your flesh. I hear you in that. I'm not asking you to stand in your flesh. I'm asking you to stand in the strength of the Spirit. And I will pull out my hands and I will pull them up. I just had this happen two nights ago. A gal who has some kind of stiff-legged syndrome or when she couldn't stand, she falls over because her legs just lock up on her. And, and we worked with her in loosing the anointing and getting her to stand. The walker was removed. She was standing on her own. She was dancing on her own in the spirit. But I had to, on faith, walk her through her mind that would say, I can't dance. I can't stand. You're going to have to hold me up. All of these things and really pull her into a place of faith. And 
God is going to ask you to do things that you can't do. If you could do it on your own strength, then it's not God. It's you. And so we need to recognize that God is going to say, just like he said to Mary, Mary, you're going to birth a child. What? How can this be? I'm still a virgin. There is no natural way that can be possible. And he's like, oh, I'm sorry. You're not going to birth it because of your fleshly encounters or because you're out of your own physical flesh. You're going to birth this thing. You're going to birth this thing. Come on. You're going to birth this thing. Through the empowerment of the Holy Ghost, that the Holy Ghost is going to come upon you, is going to overshadow you, going to overtake you. You're going to become consumed by the supernatural, and you're going to begin to birth things that you know not of, not out of your own flesh, but out of the fullness of the Spirit. Immediately, come on, somebody needs to say, immediately the man got up and walked. The man didn't, it's, it's obviously like at some point, he has a revelation that something supernatural is happening here. And he shifts from giving excuses. Like, this is the time to be like, I can't. But he doesn't argue when he says, take up your, your mat and walk. The man immediately got up and he took up his bed and he walked. Immediately, he was made well. And that day was on the Sabbath. Now listen to me, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw this next verse in here for good measure. I'm going to throw this good because I feel like this is important for some people who have experienced God in a supernatural way. You've maybe fallen out slain. You've gotten the shakes and the fire of God. You've started speaking in tongues. You're coming into the wave of the Holy Ghost. And you're experiencing supernatural things in your life. With it, you've been delivered from anger. You've been delivered from addiction. You've been delivered from depression. You're seeing supernatural healings and deliverance in your in your experiences with the holy spirit and that's what this man experienced but immediately i want to say to you that the jews therefore said to him who was cured it is the sabbath and it is not lawful for you to carry your bed this is a religious spirit that immediately came and dismissed the work of the spirit for the sake of religion come on i'm say that again they missed the miracle of the healing of the man because they were more concerned with the tradition of their religion. Come on. They missed the miracle. And people will miss the miracle in your life because they think it's weird. Because they think you're off. Because they think your doctrine is screwy. I don't know. Maybe it is. But God can do miracles in your life whether it is or it isn't. That's what I know. God is bigger than your doctrine. He's bigger than your theology. He will shake you up, turn you inside out. He will wreck you to fix you. Come on. Somebody needs to receive that. Somebody needs to be wrecked to be fixed. But when that happens, I am going to tell you that the enemy will be quick to declare that's not possible. That's not possible. That couldn't have happened. Who was this man? And they will look to condemn you. They will look to criticize you. They will look to put you back on your mat. They were literally saying, put your mat back down. You're not allowed to care. Come on. This is a man who's been laying on a mat for 38 years and he's immediately healed. And the evidence of that healing is that he's carrying his mat. He's no longer being carried on the mat. He's carrying the mat. This is the evidence of the healing. And immediately there's a religious spirit. There's a man, there's a person in your life that's going to say, who told you you're allowed to do that? Who told you you're allowed to speak from that stage? Who told you you're allowed to start speaking in the prophetic? Who told you you're allowed to start doing spontaneous worship? Who told you you're allowed to preach to men? Come on, people have said that to me ever since I've started preaching. 
Who told you that? But I'm declaring that God has worked a miracle in your life. He's worked a miracle in my life. And there is evidence in the things that I was much bound to. I can now carry it up. That's what Mark Mark 16 says. I can take those things up in my hands. And they no longer hold on to me. But I hold on to them. They no longer control me. I control them. I'm no longer navigated by the mat. But I get to carry the mat and tell the mat, this is where I'm going. Come on. Somebody needs this word. I am navigating my life, but I'm telling you, I'm here to tell you that the enemy will be quick to steal your miracle, to question your miracle, to get you to doubt you. Some of you, it's not an actual voice. It's the voice in your own head. Did God really say? Did God really say? I tell people this when we minister healing to them and they begin walking. When they came in with a walker, we've had people come in in wheelchairs and they begin walking. I let them know, listen, the enemy... For sure, first thing that's going to happen is he's going to cause you to try and doubt your healing because he does not want you to be healed. He does not want you to live in the miracle. You can experience a miracle, but not live in a miracle. Come on, that's a word for somebody. Some of you have experienced a miracle, but you're not living in it. Some of you have experienced a miracle, but you're not living in it. And God is saying you are to live in your miracle, but the enemy is saying stop living in your miracle. Stop living in your miracle. He said to them, he who made me well said to me, take up your bed and mat. And then they asked him, who is this man who said, take up your bed and mat? But the one who was healed did not know who it was. He didn't know who it was. For Jesus had withdrawn, withdrawn, uh, withdrawn a multitude being in that place. Now listen. There's such an important message in this uh, in this whole passage of scripture um, that we've been talking about. But I'm I, I really am not I, I'm really am not desiring to preach a message to you. I'm desiring to demonstrate and to teach you how to really see past just the words on the scripture and hear what the Holy Spirit is saying to you. Hear what the Holy Spirit is saying to you, for you. How will God use this message now to encourage somebody else? I guarantee you, if I pray over somebody today, God will bring this passage up and it will be applicable because God in the prophetic gives me messages before I need them. And he will give you messages before you need them for yourself, for your neighbor, for your children, for your spouse. Words of encouragement that reminds them, God has a hope for you. Look, I sense that your hope is in something other than God. And I just want to invite the presence of the Lord in here right now. You need to just begin to minister because God has revealed to you truths through the scripture. You haven't just read a story about a man who was outside the pool of Bethesda and he's waiting on the waters to stir. Like most of us can, we can, we can recall this passage, this story, and we can tell it like a story, but it's more than just a story. It's a revelation. It's life. It's life for you. It's life for me. It's the navigational system that's teaching me, changing me, redeeming me, washing me, changing me, and putting me on a path of wholeness and of fullness. So God, I just repent of every false hope in my life. God, I repent of looking to things, looking to people, looking to ideals. God, to release breakthrough in my life, to 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 loose me from places where I feel stuck. Come on, some of you in your businesses and your organizations, in your career, in your education, in your relationship, you feel stuck and you're looking for a particular thing to loose you from that. But I declare, we repent, God. We repent of looking to a false hope when you are the true hope, the one true hope that does not disappoint. Come on. Somebody just needs to receive that right now, God. We just receive you as the one true hope. I thank you, Father, that you do not disappoint me, that you are true to me. God, that every word you speak, God, 
Every word that comes forth from your mouth causes a shift in my life. I receive your presence, God. I thank you that in your presence, God, all the brokenness, all the lameness, all the blindness is shifted in a moment. And darkness is turned to light. God, in, in poverty is turned to prosperity. God, in dryness, parchness is turned to fruitfulness and multiplication and places in my life where I feel like I'm stuck. Come on, the spirit, the scripture says is where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom and there's liberty. And so God, I thank you that there are no chains on me. There's no chains on me because you say that I am free and I declare freedom for myself and I declare freedom for you. All right, you guys, that sums it up for today. John chapter five, now you followed along. Do your homework, read it for yourself. Spend some time praying because I promise you there are layers and layers and layers of revelation. And God wants to personalize this story for you so that it's not just a story, but it becomes imputed into you. It becomes a part of your lifestyle. It becomes a part of who you are. Remember, enforcing purpose, it starts with you. I hope you enjoyed this episode. You can also find me on YouTube, TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, or you can check out my other podcast show, Enforcing Purpose with Lisa Schwartz. For general information or resources, head to my website at www.lisa-schwartz.com. Thanks for listening.